Hello, everybody, and welcome to the On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. Today, uh, we're going to you know dive a bit deeper into a topic that we touched on last week in Rick's first episode. Uh, just kind of expand on it, pull the threads out a little bit, uh, and just kind of uh, you know give some more insight, some more players, more strategy talk, things like that. Uh, so we're going to you know really be focusing on building sustainable farm systems for your dynasty teams both in in deep formats which rick has a a great specialty in you know the 30 teamers and then also the the shallower formats where i play most of my ball in like the 10 to to 15 team range so we're gonna you know kind of hit on uh, a couple different things here kind of go throughout the the process and uh we're gonna start with strategy talk for shallower leagues 10 to 15 team leagues but before we get into that Rick, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jake. How are you doing, man? I am doing pretty good. It is we're recording on Monday. I had a very long Monday, uh, too many emails, but it is a nice way to end the day. We're recording a podcast talking dynasty baseball. It's great. Oh, of course, man. And and I mean some big big moves and everything over the weekend with baseball wise, and I know today as of when we were we're recording I know Bobby Witt ended up signing that big deal too, so that was pretty mm-hmm. exciting to see for a lot of the uh, dynasty managers that have him on your squads in some of these salary leagues. It's, it's a good uh, price for those salary leagues. Pretty great, honestly, yeah. with the way that it broke down. And I mean, he has opt outs, so that could be pretty interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, I saw. Um, I actually saw there was a, a tweet that was kind of funny it was like the the popular site spotrack uh, that does that tracks all the contracts for professional athletes um had like bobby witt's contract in there and there was just like a glitch on the on the site and the cubs logo was like the final two years of the deal was like on there and someone like put a screenshot out there and was like there's actually a really weird thing in bobby witt's contract where if he if he exercises all four of his player options and then the Royals exercise their two club options, then he just uh, gets sent to the cluck, the Cubs and they can pick up their own option on it, uh, which was kind of funny to see uh, because it, it was actually kind of annoying because I took it seriously for a minute. I was like, okay, if he, if he does the first four and I looked at the contract and I was like, okay, th- these years and, and then the next two, and then I read the end of it and I was like, oh my God, but it's, just you know, the fun things that can happen. Yeah, no. Well, these contracts, man, they're it. It was kind of crazy how many like opt outs and club options there are in the deal. Like it's so back heavy there, and I think it starts when he's like thirty two. Um, so interesting. If he were to hit a free agency, it wouldn't be until like his like early thirties, you know. But so the Royals, man, they get the his prime for. I think the average annual was like what, like twenty million, just, like just over twenty million. Yeah, I believe you're right, and I think that was, from what I saw, the largest contract they've handed out as mm-hmm. an organization, so that's, you know, pretty huge. You know, it, it makes me uh, think about some of the past uh, contracts of some of these players that would have, like, weird little clauses in there, um, you know, like, you know, they'd get, like, certain things. I know, like, from, like, the early 1900s, there was a clause in one of the contracts that one of the other players would not eat crackers in bed. <laughs> like it's insane for those yeah. who who have watched uh, Ken Burns baseball back in the day. Like you'll yeah. you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But like there's some like crazy little clauses in these contracts just from like their teammate standpoint. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. What it makes me think of is 
the fact that the White Sox are now one of two teams instead of three who have never given out a $100 million contract. Um, so that's fun that that club gets more and more exclusive um, with every young superstar. I actually, I don't know who the other team is. Um, I feel like I've heard it before, but I'm mostly concerned about my own team that is cheap and it's brutal. <laughs> if you know who it is, tag us on Twitter. Yeah, right. If yeah, if you were a fan of that team and you share in my lament of, of the shallow pockets of your owner, then please let me know. It's a lonely world. <laughs> well, I guess not. I guess everyone's owners are cheap to an extent, but some are worse. Some are much worse. Yeah, it is what it is. Ooh, maybe it's the A's. Ooh, because like, I don't think surprise me. Right, they didn't sign like Chapman or Olsen. I think Eric Chavez might be the biggest, uh, but I don't think his was over a hundred. Anyway, it's it sucks regardless. <laughs> <laughs> but good for the Royals. Good for Bobby Witt. That's 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 cool to see always for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So with that, I think hopefully we get to see some more moves happening here soon. It's been a little slow. It's been very slow. Um, seems like there's still a ton of, you know, free agents out there that are going to impact, impact like how prospects, like kind of the, the paths that are open to them. You know, like we saw even the trade, the Corbin Burns trade that shook up so much in in prospect um, outlooks for, for 2024, whether it be Joey Ortiz or like Chase um, Chase McDermott or Cade Povich, you know. So it's there's a lot happening with these moves, and there aren't a lot of moves, but there will be. So we'll talk about them as they come up, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're right. I mean, it opens up different opportunities for them, and it's so hard trying to predict some of these things in the off season. I know in the early part, you know, I get a lot of messages that, you know, oh, you think that this prospect has a chance to be able to break camp with them. That is the one question that is the hardest one to answer because, you know, these teams, these teams want to win. And a lot of times they're very hesitant about giving some of these young guys the full run in certain organizations, um, <clears throat> the Mets. Um, and the Yankees sometimes can be that way too, with the exception of Volpe. But, uh, you know, with spring training around the corner, we'll be really keeping an eye on that. I love the fact that Joey Ortiz is really going to be getting an opportunity, you know, to be able to. I think as of right now, they have him penciled in at third. Yeah, with though, the Turing at second. Yeah, though I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm very curious if uh, Adamas actually opens the year as a brewer. Yeah, right. Um, I really think mm-hmm. that he could be potentially on the move because. You know, we're, we'll talk about other prospects today that are in Milwaukee's organization, so I won't really spoil that. But it, it's interesting because, I mean, even like Dominic Canzone with uh, Seattle was penciled in as one of the outfielders. And obviously with Hanniger and, you know, uh, all these guys going out there, he ends up losing out of spot. So it's just really hard to predict it too early. And now going into spring training, we'll get a little bit better idea of what's going on and that might be something that we do talk about, Jake, leading up into the uh, start of the year is, you know, prospects that could be able to have an impact, you know, starting in this season. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, with with that, we'll talk about some, some impact prospects and strategies. We're going to start with strategies for shallow leagues. So 10 to 15, le- 10 to 15 team leagues, um, which you know, 15 teamers is, is borderline maybe on the shallow end, but when you're comparing it to the 30 teamers of the, the hakes of the world, then, um, it is pretty shallow. So in general, you know, 10 to 15 teamers, um, the 
strategies for playing. So, you know, and with, with a lot of these leagues, you know, depending on the roster size, there's a lot of variability in dynasty, you know, 12 team roster or 12 team dynasties aren't made the same, right? Some of them have huge benches or shallow benches, prospect spots. It, it all impacts, you know, but um, there's just so many different approaches to take in building the, the foundation of your sustainable team, you know, your dynasty team that's you hope would be contending pretty consistently. You know, there's with the waiver wire, being like more available, pretty available, get some quality players, you know, you can kind of hedge your bets, you know, like where am I going to be able to find support, you know, as the season goes on. And um, so there's, you know, a lot of different kind of ways in which you can approach it. Right. Um, so we're going to talk about a few different directions that Rick and I have, have taken when, you know, competing in these, in these general sized leagues. So first off, it really kind of like the the crux of, of so many dynasty leagues is proximity. You know, if your prospects are going to be up this year, if they're more of a long-term hold, you know, it, it just, it coincides with age too. If you have an aging roster, you want maybe more proximity. If you have like a nice bit, like, evenly spread out roster as far as age goes you have a good good mix you can you know maybe afford to to have a kind of younger prospect and so you know rick do you prioritize upside or proximity when drafting or trading prospects in these you know 10 to 15 teamers yeah so with the two 10 team leagues that i do play in um, we also do play with some uh, salary implications with it too. So it kind of gives a little bit of a balance here. So, you know, obviously talking about Bobby Witt just recently, you know, prior to today and going forward, he was a minimum contract salary for the performance in which that he gives you, it gives you a little bit more value, right? So when I'm working with my 10 team leagues, I do have to keep salary in mind. So if I'm going towards you know, prospects in those types of leagues, I'm going for proximity. Uh, you know, if, it, if it's necessary for my team, if I'm going for somebody, you know, that I want to be able to get the most upside with, then I'll kind of lean more towards that. When, when I'm, when I'm trying to build my teams, I'm trying to go as, as young as I can with that because of the cost is so low, it affords me more opportunities to be able to fill in holes elsewhere with free agency so you know just like with bobby witt you know uh anthony volpe uh bryson stott you know these are guys that were you know close proximity and had you know big upside so you can kind of get a little mix of both but for me depending on if i'm in a win now mode proximity really kind of takes the day for me what about you jake so i think with uh, even within 10 to 15 i think for me it depends on the size of the the number of teams in the league so in in 10 and 12 teamers i have found realized over the last few years that i'm really more of like the proximity guy as far as prospects go and it's gotten to the point where i'm almost on willing to hold a prospect who is like less than 20 years old i mean unless you're talking about like like if jack like if i was you know drafting in an fypd last year and i had the one or two pick and like jackson holiday was there i wouldn't not take him because that's still a lot of value that you're adding to your roster you trade him later whatever right but in general when you're talking about like some dsl guys or you know high school pitchers maybe who are drafted high school players in general tough to keep 
And, you know, if you're dealing with a certain amount of roster spots, certain amount of prospect spots, like you kind of go through the season, there's a lot of churn. Those are usually the guys, I think, for me in 10 to 12 teamers specifically to get cut first is like, you know, even if this is a someone who I have, I see a lot of raw talent with, you know, or like a, a good carrying tool, a lot of projectability and, you know, their frame, like, you know, there's only so much that you could do to like outweigh the spot that they just take up on your roster. And, and it differs, you know, between leagues. If you have a, a, a team or a, a league that has a, a, like a 25 um, prospect spots and it might not be as big of a deal to take up the 24th, 25th prospect spot versus like an overall roster spot. Like I play in a couple leagues where you get 50 roster spots and you can kind of use them as you'd like. In that situation, it, it is taking up a spot that you'd be, you know, using elsewhere. And then it's, you know, with your proximity guys, sometimes they open up spots on the minor, the minor league roster, you know. So it's, I think for me, I'm, I'm less willing to kind of like wait it out in 10 to 12s. 15s are a little different because usually the, um, you know, the waiver wire looks a little different. You're not quite as like hell bent on churning those final spots. You know, people don't pop up as often. And, um, so I think I'm, I'm willing to maybe have like a couple spots on my roster that could be held by a, you know, a, a guy in the DSL, an 18, 19 year old, um, who won't be debuting at like 2021, who is kind of more of a wait and see kind of guy. Um, but yeah, I think even for me kind of within the 10 to 15, it, it usually varies. And, and, you know, of course the, the quality of the waiver wire really impacts it as well. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, with your leagues that you do play in, what, what kind of roster spots do you have? Are they specifically for prospects or are they just a deeper bench? I've seen some also where you have like two prospect spots and then right. you know your bench from there. What do you typically play with? Uh, so right now it's half and half, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's half and half. Um, so like two, two of them are like a certain amount of minor league roster spots. Uh, one of them, I think one of them is 20 and the other is 30. And then the other ones are just like 50 roster spots and 60 roster spots. And you could like do with them as, as you wish. The one of, and it's interesting because one of those is a 12 team, one of those is a 15. And the 12 okay. team, it's pretty much like gather minor leaguers to accrue value to trade them later to get win now pieces to win championships like that league is very much like essentially like a draft and hold you know where you where you have 50 players and you're just cycling through um and trying to accrue as many stats as possible And that's really valuable when you have major league people on your bench that you could go and you know accrue these stats with you could replace if if guys get injured if, if guys aren't playing as much whatever right so that's very much like a, a churn and burn, get prospects, trade them away. If you really want to win, you likely can't carry that many prospects. And the 15 team are interestingly enough in pretty much the same setup, but just with deeper rosters, it is a lot easier to, to carry more prospects because just that that quality of, of the waiver wire is much different and there's just not as much value you can get from churning in, in, the, in your bench there. And so you have a lot more flexibility in that one to um, roster some younger guys. Are you able to pick up your prospects on the waiver wire throughout the season, or do you have to wait for a draft at the end of the year? Uh, prospects in general can be picked up at any time, and then, but the guys that are drafted, like in the MLB draft or the J15 guys, have to wait for the FYPD. Interesting. So the two ten teams I play in, uh, we have fifty minor league spots. 
Um, so it gives you more opportunity to be able to have more prospects, right? But what they do is they cut it off in season. Oh. So, yeah. So you can only, you know, pick up major league, you know, contracts. Which That's you interesting. Assume, yeah. yeah. So you assume that major league contract if you pick that player up. Got so it. you're going to have to see that through to whenever they, you know, go off of it. But they cut off the prospects. So you it, it puts more emphasis on, you know, your scouting for the draft. Uh, for the upcoming season so you always end up having a new you know fresh you know crop of prospects that go in there but if you're able to you know nab some of these guys in the late rounds of your draft you know and then they become top 100 prospects the following Mm -hmm. year all of a sudden you're sitting here with more you know capital to be able to burn yeah and that's interesting because you know i mean every year there's a good handful of prospects that just fly up rankings that are you know huge pickups um like, uh, you know, even like guys like Ethan Salas, Samuel Basalo, like um, Sebastian Walcott was another one this year that was kind of realized. And so like th- like those guys, if you don't get them in your draft then, you know, or if, or if guys just come out of nowhere, like that creates, I think, a really interesting like, like how do you balance, you know, um, Dylan Cruz or Walker Jenkins with like some of these guys that popped up and are now like awesome, you know. So that's interesting, yeah. especially in a 10 team exactly. Yeah, last year um, we ended up having Jackson Chirio in the draft. Wow. So it's like, okay, what are you going to do? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Hashtag and, tank and for Chirio. I know. Yeah. I know. So wow. that's that's like kind of the thing. So like now, yeah, you have Basalo, you have um, Albamelic Ortiz, you have, you know, Grand Pauly, you have all these guys that are just, you know, all pushed up towards the top now that uh, you wouldn't have wouldn't have thought of and it's amazing because you look through it and you know for for folks like you and me jake that just kind of like scour the waiver wire we're just sitting here and we're just you Mm. know mind blown you know oh this guy's available because we don't i don't know about you but we don't end up obviously announcing all the players that are available that's for you to do your research yeah yeah so you find out real quick the ones who do the research and know yeah. what's available and how to navigate their draft from there. So I just thought that was really interesting. I was curious if you guys did that or not. Yeah, no, it's it's also just so cool to see or just to talk the way the Dynasty Leagues are set up because there's so many different ways to do it, you know. Oh, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's awesome. I think one thing to preface with all of what we're going to be talking about today is exactly what you just said. Like all dynasty leagues are set up differently. Um, You know, there's not a one step fix all for all of what we're trying to go through here, but we're just trying to give you a little bit more, you know, um, options to be able to work off of yours. If you wanted to try something a little bit different or it's something that you relate with, with something that we do. And that was kind of the main crux of of doing this episode and this you know topic is just really try to help you guys especially hone in you know with the season upcoming as well yeah yeah absolutely um absolutely on to the next kind of talking point here so when taking over a team from a previous manager do you tend to tear it down and build from the bottom up or take the approach of selling everything to compete so in the original 10 team that me or my co-owner and I uh, ended up taking over. We ended up uh, number one, it was our first technical dynasty league. So we tore it all the way down to the bones. I mean, we sold every single thing that we possibly could 
um, tried to get the salary as low as possible, acquired a ton of picks as well as prospects at the time. And it has taken us in that league quite a while to be able to get it to come back around. Right. Um, I think we tore it down. I want to say we tore it down in 2018. Um, and it took us pretty much up until last season to get it all the way back up. That's now, dedication. There you go. Oh, I'm telling you, it was it was crazy. And the funny thing about it is we had like out of the 50 prospects we could roster, like in the minor leagues, we had like 35 or 40 of those that were top 100 prospects. Wow. So like I'm talking like it was filled. Yeah. And then meanwhile, we had, you know, all the other guys that made it up to the majors like Bobby Witt, like Adley Rutschman, all these guys. We went into that 2019 draft class with 20 picks nobody picked until like the <laughs> last pick of the second round in the 10 team wow so you know and that was such a good draft class so, yeah right yeah oh my gosh. you know so we tore it all the way down to the bones uh and then that way we could build it the way that we wanted to we did the slow approach um but we were fortunate number one to be able to be that patient but also the fact that we opened they opened up a second league that was identical hmm. that we kind of took more of the approach of the win now. Gotcha. So we kind of got that balance of both of them. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, whenever, whenever we did that, you know, trying to go towards that balance of, of selling off prospects to keep a win now approach going. Um, and especially in those leagues, you know, with the value of prospects, the amount that you have to give up to be able to get the MLB talent that you're looking for. Right. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've done it. I've done it twice now. And, you know, really, um, the, the state of the roster when you take it over is definitely a huge kind of, of part of where it's at. Um, there was one I did in a, it was like a head to head head-to-head league with that with like shallower rosters it was like it was yahoo based now lastly like um you know so it was it was like an all right roster i think it had finished in like eighth or ninth out of the 12 in like the previous year and so that one was more of like a a tear down because i had some good i had like gunner and uh Oh, I can't even remember um, who I started with, but I, I had some good kind of younger players. And so, you know, that one was more of like a, a kind of tear down, take a step back, maybe take a year off and like rebuild it a little bit. And that, that one went all right. Um, and, but it wasn't like, it wasn't as like satisfying, I think. And it was tough to like, it was tough to make some deals and it wasn't like, it, it was just the, you know, I think it was like the the waiver wire was a big part. I had a hard time actually churning because there wasn't a very active, like I I joined and then you're like, ah, no one really wants to trade, like kind of stuck, you know? Um, And so that one just took a while and it's, it's a constant work in progress. But the one that I think I can speak more on is the one that I took over just probably like two months ago um, that had finished, I think in like fourth and it just make, it just makes it easier to, you know, I don't want the same team. I don't want to just run the same team out there, but it, you know, it, you have a lot of pieces already. And that one, I, um, I just traded, um, 
man, I'm, I just made a ton of deals in one of my other leagues the other day, and it just completely wiped my memory for what I've done in the other ones recently. I think I made like six in, the, in one day the other day. Um, because now all I can think of is that, but like trading your best players for other players of like equal or lesser value, right? Like not wanting to trade away, you know, your your top like fifty assets for like the quantity, like a, like four different guys that add up to it, and you know, but so it's just kind of like lateral moves, but but finding little pieces of value, having like a throw in guy here and there that you think could like do better right so i think that was the one that i've had more fun with more success with the league is also i think more active and it's just easier to trade i think um and so i think that goes into it as well it's just that other one i just kind of stuck in the mud just for whatever reason couldn't get the wheels turning and so it's just it's like yeah i think so much of it depends on kind of the state of the roster and then just like how much are people willing to almost help you out you know and like throw you a lifeline to kind of get some dead weight off the off your team or even just kind of like mix it up because you know it's, it's someone else's team you know you don't want to just run out with the with the same people you want to like make it your own you know no i definitely agree and i think that there is something to be said about that with the league mates that you play in you know obviously you know we're talking about you know potentially tearing everything down and rebuilding and, and all that but if you don't have an active league it's not quite, you know, the same to be able to go into having that well-established league where everybody kind of communicates. I think that's also key. Several of these, especially the 10 teams that we're in, we have a text, you know, group on there. So we're constantly talking about baseball, you know, anything in general, really, they talk about football and all sorts of other stuff. And it's just a good community. And whenever you can build that good community in those leagues, it makes it so much easier to be able to trade. Yeah. Because then you start to learn, you know, what they like. I know I play in a couple leagues with two White Sox fans, just like yourself, Jake, all right. and two uh, and two Cubs fans. They're all up in the Illinois type of area. So I know for a fact I'm not touching any of those Cubs uh, prospects because I'll have to pay a premium for it, right? So you start to kind of get an idea of what, what they kind of work with. Um and then you can tailor your deals accordingly. But just like you said, Jake, if you're in one of these types of leagues that, you know, I, I know like I joined a while back a couple of Yahoo uh, leagues whenever I was with the weekly streamer, you know, we'd have some of them be like, hey, will you come and join? And I do. And then there's nothing going on. Yeah. I just cool. something about the Yahoo interface. It's just not conducive for people who really love baseball. Like it's just, you know, it, it feels very um not even like, I don't think it's a simple, like simplicity thing. It's just, I think like, well, I think one thing that I was really having an issue with in that one league specifically was the player pool is so shallow. It is really hard to, there was one, it was going, it was last off season going into um, like draft season. Kyle Manzardo was not in the player pool for Yahoo. And it was right. like, he became available for the FYPD. It was like just in time for the FYPD. And, you know, I think he went in like the top, few picks but like it was just so wild to me because at the time like he was that was when he was getting all the hype like throughout the offseason and he and i had looked in the season like previously like i was gonna try to pick him up in season he just wasn't there and then you're like what are you gonna do in that situation like you had this opportunity and now someone else might have picked him up already if he was there but like you like thinking of it's so disheartening to like think of a guy or find a guy and then go and look and it's not even in the pool you know and i think that was the biggest issue that i came in, in in with 
And what, what's funny about that, and I don't mean to stretch this out, but we'll talk about that that same type of thing a little bit in the 30 team because sometimes you'll be doing your, your player research. And even, you know, Fantrax is fantastic. They're able to get a lot of these guys in the player pool. But I'm also that guy that ends up, re- like, you know, reaching out to some of them over there. And I'm like, hey, you guys got to add so on and so forth, you know, to the player pool. And uh, I, I remember, uh, what is the Hildago for... Uh, the rockies i was like you guys gotta add him he is destroying the dsl they you cannot not have him right, right now right. because people in these leagues are looking for that um but it, there's nothing more frustrating than getting to that point where you're doing your research and he's not there yep yeah it's tough um but yeah that's again kind of the joys of, of fan tracks there you gotta give, give the credit where it's due for sure um so uh, then moving on, how um, how do our how, we're going to talk about some of our, how our leagues impact um, or value prospects versus like MLB production? Um, so Rick, Rick, do you have any 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 thoughts there? Yeah. So once again, it does come down to your league mates, what their knowledge level of prospects are, and what they're trying to get out of that league, right? So that's number one. Um, you know, with the leagues that I play in, uh, with the 10 team leagues, they are pretty prospect savvy for the most part. So they have a good idea of the ones that they like and what they like to try to have on their teams. Just like I said, I'm not going to try to go trade for a Cubs or a White Sox prospect, but if I'm sitting in a first year player draft or a, 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 a free agent draft in general for prospects, you know, I might load up on some of these guys knowing full well that I can turn around in season and package this to go get that, you know, closer that I need to be able to lock it all down, you know, another piece. So in my league, you know, prospects can be moved, you know, readily for MLB talent, though you will end up moving, in my opinion, a little bit more quantity of prospects for a singular player back. What I have found though, um, and my league mates, if they do listen to this, they already know. So they're getting wise to it. But uh, <laughs> I would always, you know, in leagues that allow it, I would always trade for future years picks. So I would always, you know, make a deal. But, uh, hey, you know, throw in a second round pick in 2026. You don't even know what's coming in 26. Yeah, right, You're right. not even thinking about it. Just whatever. Next thing you know, just like 29, uh, yeah, 2019, I'm sitting here with, you know, the majority of the first couple picks and I can roll from there. So that that's something to me in a shallow team like context is something I like to do uh, with a lot of my league mates. Um, And like I said, just kind of get to know what they what they like. You can kind of tailor your prospect hauls towards that. Yeah, exactly. And it's nice. Honestly, it's nice sometimes when you get someone new coming into the league, taking over team and all of a sudden they want to make a bunch of moves and you don't even like need to like they're sometimes they're just so eager like and i've been there like you come in and you're just like get all these people off my roster, you know, like, let's switch it up. Um, and so there was like there was a situation where I in a 12 team league in one of the leagues where you just have like a wide open bench. I had like accrued a bunch of prospects and realized over the last like probably six, seven, eight months or so that I need to just like I, I was getting more competitive and I need to start getting rid of some of them for just, you know, more major league depth. And, you know, like you had a good core of people, but just like I, I'm going to be stuck in the middle if I 
have, you know, 20 prospects of like the 50 people on my team, you know? And so I really started like kind of gearing more to compete this year, you know, made some moves last year to do that. And then this guy came into the league, took over a team and I was like, all right, like I have no prospects on this team. I want a bunch of prospects. So I sent him I, an absolute haul for anyone who likes prospects. It was like Colson Montgomery, Brooks Lee, James Wood, Ricky Tiedemann, and Jake Eater for uh, Logan Gilbert, Marcus Semien, and Craig Kimbrell, which is like, a, a, I think in my eyes, or in general, uh, trade talks is a bit of an overpay on the prospect ends because there's just so much upside there. But in, in like a 12-team league where the rosters kind of get surprisingly small and there's, I think a bit of a premium on the higher end talent um, that I was like, you know what, if this is, if this is the price I have to pay in a league that, you know, doesn't quite value prospects as much because you don't have prospect spots. I think like, I was like, all right, I think I'm all right with this. And um, he talked me up a little bit. I was originally only going to give up, I think Colson and um, oh, I was willing to give up Colson and Wood you know, like two like top 15 guys for like Semyon and Gilbert, Gilbert essentially with like a couple throw-ins. And he was like, oh no, like I gotta, I, you know, if I want to do Gilbert, I gotta have Tiedemann. And it, after a minute, I was like, all right, like pitching, I can do it. I could find it later, you know? Um, so, you know, got me, he got me to, to add a few more guys, but you know, that's a, that's a situation where it's like I had accrued the prospect value and it had gotten time for, I was like, I want to compete this year. I have some other prize still have like Amador, who's like a top end guy. Like I, I it's not all my whole um, farm system. I'll capitalize for someone because it's also not guaranteed that you'll find someone else that's willing to like pay that much MLB contributions for prospects. You know, so it's it's, it's like in the, you or you kind of have to know the, your league. You know, like how prospects are valued and um, and just it's something to accrue to accrue value in that sense and then cap when no one to capitalize it I don't know if I did it exactly perfectly but that's I think kind of what I'm thinking about here when we're talking about like you know valuing one versus the other it's just it's so much with league context or your your competition window um, you know kind of like how you're approaching that agreed and, and also your ability or, or your confidence in yourself like you said to be able to try to to identify and nab those new ricky tidemans right right like like you want you you need to have that confidence that you're going to be able to do that in order to move the prospects that you have so yeah you're willing to do an overpay knowing full well that you'll be able to find it later on especially in such an expansive you know availability of players yeah and uh and so inter- we we're, we kind of started talking talk, talk touching on it here i want to hear your thoughts you know as you're moving from rebuild mode into win now mode like what are what are the ways in which you kickstart that process like how do you proceed do you sell for the future um sell off the future for the right now or do you um do favor a bit more sustainability maybe capitalize on some increased values like guys have popped off recently you know like how do you approach it yeah so really when it comes to that you got to kind of look at your team context. It really depends on what you have in the farm uh, and your prospects or players that are in the, in the major leagues at this current time. So if you are looking, you know, in toward, in terms of salary leagues and you know, Hey, my guys are going to, my young core is going to be inexpensive for a long period of time. These position players that I have in the minor leagues that I'm kind of just, you know, waiting for them to come up. I can move those for right now pieces that could be able to get me over the hill. 
you know, when you're making those deals, like I said, you know, you can kind of work in future picks down the way you could do pick swaps. That's another, you know, really popular thing with a lot of shallow and deeper dynasty leagues. You can, you know, trade away, you know, certain picks and be able to get years in the future. That might be something that might be more up your alley. So if you could kind of be a little smart about it, I'm not afraid to be able to move my, you know, top prospects, you know, to be able to get the pieces I need to be able to compete. That that team that I tore it all the way down, we're sitting here like with a super team right now. So, you know, with the, with the prospects that are up in the majors, they are cheap, controllable. I don't need to you know, overload my bench with a bunch of prospects I won't be able to use, you know? So that's, that's usually what it is. I mean, like we had, I just, for example, like we had Jordan Lawler, great top ranked prospect here, but you're sitting here with Bobby Witt jr. What are you going to do? You know, you're going to play Bobby Witt, right? Right. right, Does it make sense? So, you know, we we had a lot of those doubling because we always did that. We always ended up saying, okay, well, we're not just going to settle for the fact that, oh, we have Bobby Witt, so we're not going to draft any more shortstops. No, you draft best available, right? Yeah. And you do it for a reason because now you're sitting here and you can move it for what you want. So that's right. kind of how it is whenever it is time to go into that win now mode. Yeah, and that, that just got me thinking. It's so hard to know what a position is going to look like in a year or two. Even you know, like we like third base was the like super super shallow last year. Don't think it's quite as shallow now. It's it's fine. Uh, shortstop, like we've been talking for the last what like three four years. How this is like a generational talent of shortstops. It's so deep. Like you could wait on shortstop for the first time ever. You know, and now you're looking past and in redraft leagues is where I'm kind of basing this kind of. Uh, situation off of is like you're looking past pick maybe 150 and you're going oh oh shoot uh you know or like you find yourself on a dynasty team that one of my teams i lost five players on my roster lost shortstop eligibility in the offseason and all of a sudden i looked and i only had prospect shortstops it was like luis on helicuna um amador and montgomery and like you know, Montgomery would have came up and at some point, but I was like, I gotta go find a shortstop off the wire. I got like, I was not prepared for this. You know, I had, I think Noah Marte and Royce Lewis and like a couple others that were, you know, and I didn't even think that it was all going to go away. And then you're looking around in the, the, the state of the shortstop position. And it's like, Oh God, I kind of up the river without a paddle here, you know? So it's yeah. tough to foresee how those things are going to happen and how a position is going to, you know, how the depth is going to play out. So you could think to yourself, oh, I'm, I got locked in with Bobby Witt and, you know, or, oh, I got I have like my one, my two, whatever, like feeling good here. And then all of a sudden, like a couple guys lose eligibility and like you're looking at the the wire and you're like, oh, I got to make a trade, you know? So it's it's tricky. It's the depth is is a good, great thing to maintain, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no i agree yeah um that that segment one that ton of content for y'all um just focusing on strategy for the for the, the for the shallower leagues ish compared to the rick leagues but when we get back from this ad break we will talk about the rick leagues the 30 team leagues um as they are it's whole other beast so we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back 
All right, and we are back and ready to discuss some deep league dynasty strategies. Uh, so I want to pick Rick's brain specifically a little bit more here. We talked about you know the thirty teamers a lot last week, and I think we're kind of we'll continue to talk about them really throughout the season. We have a great resource here to do it. Might as well take advantage of it. As I think they're getting more popular these leagues, and uh, I intend to play in one myself at some point. So I need to get all of the prep that I can. Um, and so we're going to talk about them. Uh, assembling a farm system, kind of the same that we just did at the uh, 10 to 15 teamers. So with the expanded player pool, how do you value proximity, you know, in FYPDs, working trades, you know, in, in prospects, how has that changed with the deeper, deeper rosters, deeper uh, player pool? Yeah. So with 30 team dynasty leagues, you really kind of have to really know your squad and what your needs are. So, like, for example, in one of mine, I ended up drafting uh, Brock Wilkin because I wanted to try to get a little bit more of a, you know, a long-term pitcher with third base. And speaking towards, like, where the talent is as opposed to your needs, I have a feeling that Brock Wilkin could either shift from third base to first base or stay at third base. So it's a, it's one or the other. And to me, in that league, I have Gunnar Henderson. So obviously, you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, why are you going Brock Wilkin if you have Gunnar Henderson? I'm hoping for the first base side, pretty much. But um, in these leagues, you know, I, I'm in a I'm in a win now mode, so I want to continue to bring up you know talent on a quick on a quick turn. Now, where I was sitting, I think I was sitting maybe around the 13th pick at that point. So you're seeing a lot of the high school, you know, bats and everything like that go. You're seeing Noble Meyer actually went a little bit before that as well. So, you know, you're, you could, you can go with the higher upside if that is, you know, what you're trying to go for. If you, if I genuinely just believe that Wilkin would only be a third baseman, there's not a possibility for first, then I would have probably kind of reconsidered a little bit here and maybe gone for, you know, um, Hulk or, you know, Aiden Miller or something like that, that would have been a little bit further back and give me a little bit of time to kind of work through it. Right. Um, but proximity to me plays a key point because you can also make moves with those set prospects in these leagues. Um, really when it, what, what it boils down to, especially with first year player drafts is what you do with those ladder picks. And if you were listening into our episode last week, we ended up type, touching on, you know, some of the, you know, deeper names to be able to target in some of your first year player drafts. This is, you know, where you end up getting ahead in some of your dynasty leagues uh, with those, you know, deeper type of picks there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you could just you have the time you know to like wait on some guys if, if needed you have the ability to, to capitalize those fypds like sometimes in my leagues i view them as like important but more for picking up like even major league free agents you know or minor league players that are in the pool of, of free agents that are that have been in the the systems you know it's, it's sometimes the actual like 
players who have been introduced to the pool don't get as emphasized as much if you have some guys kind of sitting out there like uh in one of my 12 late teamers like javi baez michael walker like there's some guys kind of sitting out there that you know aren't flashy but like will contribute they'll probably get taken you know in the late first early second round depending on the teams that are you know kind of there so it's i think when you're in those shallower leagues those uh, for me what i've seen is that sometimes it's not quite as emphasized the like the the deeper part of that of that pool of people who have been uh, introduced to professional baseball, and when you're in that thirty team, or you really need to know the back end, and you have the ability to take advantage of the back end, because I mean, it's just looking at like the guys who came up from last year, like like Roman Anthony, Jacob Mizarowski, these were not first round picks. Now they are massive values, and so and and those are guys that I don't even think were drafted in the FYPD. Most of the FYDs. FYPDs, maybe even all of them that I did, you know, it's, there's a lot of differences, a lot of nuance there with just like how to, how you're approaching these, you know, 30 teamers. I think you really, it's really just definitely more of a focus on those, um, the, the high schoolers that are, that are being drafted in the, the second round even, you know, so, um, it, it's, it, I think it's, it's a fun kind of, um, process I would assume to, to really dive into the, the pool like that. Um, also just fun to watch the draft. I think, you know, you don't have to just pay attention to the first round. You're like, I got to keep watching this, you know? Oh yeah, no, for sure. And for me, that's like a holiday every year. Yeah. So I'm sitting here like watching it come in and adjusting my spreadsheets and everything. I mean, I thought it was crazy last year, you know, Roman Anthony and Mizorowski were going in the back end of the second, third rounds in these 30 team leagues. So, you know, we only do five round drafts so some of them falling back as far as what they did you know was pretty impressive and you know i made i made a, a note on it you know last episode several years back vinnie p sitting on the waiver wire you know like you will find guys that slip through the cracks i i, I have some in my leagues right now you know uh, troy melton with detroit who is just you know really kind of skyrocketing in a lot of these deeper you know rankings uh, he definitely will be in mind with fan tracks. So, you know, you have these guys that if you're paying attention throughout the year, you'll be able to pick up on it. Samuel Basalo was pretty much available on waiver wires across all of these leagues. I remember seeing him for the last like two years since he got signed as a, uh, a, a G 15 guy. So, you know, you just kinda, you kind of have to do your own research and pick up where you can. That's that's really key with those. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when in rebuild mode for a 30-teamer, which I'm sure could be daunting because I'm sure a roster looks pretty ugly uh, when you're talking about like, I mean, who like it, it's kind of, you know, think about a major league roster like the A's right now who's in rebuild mode or the Pirates that have been, you know, like these, these rosters can get tough. And it's actually one of my favorite things to see on Twitter when your team gets good and someone from the fan base posts like the worst lineups that they saw at like the height of the, of the rebuild. Like I saw one recently for the Orioles um, that had some just fantastic names in it. Um, and, and it's so in a third team where you get kind of a similar sense where you get, you get kind of towards the bottom and you're looking at it and you're like, whoo, there's a lot of work to do. You know, how do you start that process? You know, how do you build your farm system really from the bottom up there? Yeah. So I, um, I inherited, a uh, Detroit Tigers team that was completely devoid of all of the top, you yep. know, names in there. Mize, Scooble, 
Manning at the time was moved. You know, you had, I think I had Riley Green. I think that's one of the only ones I was able to hang on to. That was before the torque draft. So, you know, you're just kind of <laughs> out tough. here in yeah. limbo. <laughs> so, you know, at that point, I was like, okay, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be a slow burn, right? So you got to understand that if this is going to be a rebuild, I need to be very calculated in my moves. I need to maximize my return the best as possible. Obviously, you don't want to be ticking everybody off in your league because then you won't get anything done, right? Yep. Being smart, get, acquiring your draft picks. Therefore, you can trust your own process in terms of the first-year player drafts. That, to me, was very important in these. And just, you know, don't be impatient. If you're going to do a complete teardown rebuild and you're going to commit to that, be patient. Do not jump the gun. Do not do one season and then all of a sudden decide, you know what? I'm going all in all of my hard work. I'm just pushing that button and I'm going all in because it I've seen it time and time again where people will do this and they'll just keep trying to turn and turn and turn and turn. You're doing so much more work than what you have to. Okay. So like at this point, my Detroit team just won the league last year. Um, it's got a young core that is sustainable for the next, I think, through 2027 or 2028 is what it's good for at, at minimum cost. So, like, I can legit do a dynasty, right? you know, for the next, what, four, three, four years from now. As long as I, as long as I don't, you know, get too, you know, trade happy, right? Because that's the one thing um, with, with me and my co-owner that I use on a lot of these different leagues, we balance each other out. Right. Because I'm extremely patient. He is more, you know, pedals to the floor. Let's get some things done. Right. Right. And, and honestly, you know, everybody, I wish that I could just be able to do all of these leagues and have enough time to be able to manage them all and all this. Sometimes having a co-owner is a good thing. I think that's also another thing that if you're doing a rebuild like this, you have somebody to kind of give you a checks and balance, right? Yep. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can have a bulldog go in there and then you can have somebody like me that goes in there and is like, Hey, I'm sorry that he wasn't so great, but let's, let's work <laughs> something out. Good cop, you know? cop. Oh, we have that. We yeah. have that to a T. Nice. No, that's funny. I, uh, um, yeah, doing a, like a co-owner in dynasty is really interesting. I've, um, I think heard a lot more about it in like redraft leagues. Uh, and in, in a redraft league, it's like, you know, if you, if you did a co-owner and like you had a horrible experience, they're like, all right, like, we're just not going to do that again. Dynasty leagues, you know, their commitments uh, on, in so many different ways, especially with your, you know, in a co-owner. And so it's really good to have someone that, that balances it out like that. Cause you know, if you're just like, if you're both just pissing people off, you know, like it's <laughs> be tough. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's good to kind of have that. And uh, I, I think I probably fall uh, on more of the, I think I go through spurts, you know, it's like some days I'll get really motivated. And if there's someone else who also happens to be really motivated, we'll do like a deal or two, you know, like it's, if you get kind of like, and, and when you have a, like a, um, multiple teams you kind of go through like focus i think for for me I, I go through focusing uh sporadically on each one you know there might be a few days where i'm just really thinking about this one this roster and then you know kind of down dies down a little bit and then i've kind of moved my focus to the other one and so um yeah just kind of finding that that balance of like 
being a little even keeled, you know, and uh, not going pedal to the pedal all the time. But it's it's fun when you get in a groove and you you know make a bunch of moves. It, it also helps oh, yeah. the off season go by, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in uh, the opposite of rebuilding, win now uh, teams. You know, how is building and sustaining a farm system different uh, in the win now mode versus in a rebuild? Okay. So what I try, my way of doing things and my co-owner's way of doing things, once again, are a little bit differently. When we are in win now mode, it's trying, for me, it's trying to acquire prospects while trying not to lose the farm okay okay um obviously you're going to end up having some you know top tier prospects we had uh just recently we actually made a trade uh in one of these deeper dynasty leagues in which um i ended up giving up what was it let's see drew thorpe blade tidwell and albumelic ortiz with graham ashcraft and clayton kershaw really trying to get off that money with Kershaw because we're not quite sure how that's going to work. But we ended up getting back Mitch Keller, Matt Manning, and Cutter Crawford. Nice way to build up the pitching staff. Yeah. And great sell highs, I think, on um, on definitely Drew Thorpe coming off his minor league pitcher of the year, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And even like Abimelech has, you know, he he, we, we haven't seen like the full breakout, but like, He's gotten to be a very popular name. So good. I think good capitalization on, on the value there. Huge helium with Albumelic Ortiz mm-hmm. for sure. You know, Drew Thorpe, very big with that change up. I'm curious as to how it's going to end up. You know, I'm curious if they're going to end up sending him to AAA number one. That kind of concerns me because if they do at El, at El Paso, I mean, he could get completely shellacked and there goes his confidence. What really did it for me and of course, I'm a Mets fan. I don't want to give up Blade Tidwell, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, for me, <laughs> uh, you know, getting off of, you know, uh, Kershaw money in that type of league was key. You know, getting right. back a a pitcher like Mitch Keller, who had over 200K, you know, mm-hmm. K's last year. Um, you know, he's only making like $6 million as opposed to Kershaw in this league is like 16. Right. Okay. And he's so like say, 27 or so. He's like right in his prime. He's got another couple of years left where he could definitely get yeah. 200 innings. You know, he's been good. I have healthy, him under, you know? And I have him under contract for, I think, another two or three years at this point. And then I could resign him if I want to at that point. Right. So it gives me a little bit more flexibility. I'm not sure how much longer Kershaw is going to pitch. But here's the thing. I loved the upside of Cutter Crawford and what he did with Boston. And he's league minimum for the next several nice. years. I have them under team control for several years. And Matt Manning, to me, once again, team control, but also he looked like he was just a couple ticks away from figuring it out. And if he can get those Ks up a little bit more than obviously like the 6K per nine he's at right now, I think that there's a lot to like there. But I, I say all that to say like, yeah, you got to take those prospects and be able to move them for pieces to be able to help you win now. So it, it, it's kind of having that sweet spot, right? Yeah. You know, Matt Manning, uh, I forgot who pointed it out. Someone from Pitcherless tweeted about it recently. He has like the, the highest rated slider by PLV. 
which I never would have. You could have given me yeah, 50 guesses and I would not have guessed that he had like the the top slider. Um, and then like they, the tweet had like a highlight video of his sliders. And I was like, well, that, that checks out. Uh, it's just, uh, he's definitely, he just kind of flew under the radar, I think. So um, yeah, he's could be a huge breakout guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love Cutter Crawford. So anywhere I can get him, I'm, I try to go that way. Plus uh, Sparp eligible in some of these leagues. So oh, if you're nice. playing in no. leagues that that have that to work towards you, it's great. Yeah, right. Um, and then with with rebuilding, so you know, let's say you're coming off of kind of a uh, league average season. You know, you're kind of depending, uh, you're figuring out where you want to go. Maybe it's an inter- injury um, luck, poor injury luck. You know, and you're kind of trying to figure it out. Do you prefer going to like full rebuild or more of like a retool approach? Um, if it's a, if I'm middling, if I'm a middling team, I will probably first off, look at my divisions. So in 30 teams, obviously just like real life, you have divisions that you play in. So if you think that you can win your division, then you know that there's a possibility if you do a little minor tweaks, retools, the way to go, you know, that way you can be able to kind of get at least into winning your division because therefore you're winning some money and then you can go into the playoffs and do whatever you can from there. Um, if you are a bottom dweller team or you see this is this is key as well. If you see two um, teams that are in your division that look like powerhouse teams and they're going to be duking it out. I promise you, you do not want to be the third person right in that. Have the awareness awareness of your league to be able to decide if a rebuild is right for you. And if it's the time for it, because I've seen some teams that just believe that they're going to go for it all the time. And they're up against teams that they have no business trying to go up against. You know, and then they end up being a middling team forever. They're never in the money, and then they lose interest, and the team goes to the wayside. So, yep. you know, if you're if you're coming into a, med- a a medium season and you think that it's time to do a rebuild with those two other ones up top in that division, go ahead and tear it on down. Get it get it going in the right direction. Um, I know a lot of you know these dynasty analysts, myself included, like we're always open towards questions on Twitter. I constantly get asked questions about this kind of stuff. So reach out to us. I know all of us, Jake, you, me, leg cross, all of them, they all answer questions. So, you know, you can always, you can always get a good idea with it. And I think with the way that these leagues are going, people are graduating in a way of rethinking how they approach dynasty. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, With that, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and uh, talk about some specific players to target in both deep and shallow leagues. All right, and we are back and we're going to talk about some actual players, do a couple dives into and do some profiles, some people that we like um, in both the shallower leagues, the 10 to 15 teamers, as well as the deeper dynasty leagues, like 30 team. Um, So we're you know gonna take do a couple of discussion questions real quick you know where we see value um so in general what are you looking for in positional prospects in shallow or in shallower leagues 
really it's about the production, right? What are you going to be able to give me that a MLB regular would not? So if it's a prospect that be, is able to have some bigger upside, um, you know, like for example, like Ivan Melendez has got 30 plus home run power. That would be fantastic if he's given the opportunity with the Diamondbacks to be able to do that. 30 home run power in, with the major league rosters. There's other options that are there. The high strikeout rates kind of scare me. So you kind of go with that balance act, right? Um, if you're going for, you know, high upside, high K's, stuff like that, Daniel Espino right now could be a guy who could have massive strikeouts. Now, is he going to be a reliever? Is he going to be a starter? I don't know, but that could be able to help you with your, you know, 10 team leagues. If he's going to be a reliever, you could put him in a reliever spot and be able to help your ratios starter. I mean, you're looking at a guy who could be a top, you know, top 20 starter in, in dynasty by the year's end. If he's given that opportunity. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think you have, um, I think a bit more flexibility in like those deeper leagues where you can like, like I, I think this guy has tools, has like the raw ability and kind of where he, that actually shakes out on the diamond or in the bullpen or the you know rotation doesn't maybe matter as much because like it's going to be valuable one way or another, right? Like, you know, I'll be able to plug him in. And I think in shallower leagues, maybe sometimes it's like, ah, oh, do I want to pay this price for, you know, someone who could be a reliever, you know, or someone who could be a batting average risk, you know, with, with kind of like the, I think focus that, that there is on production from, from your roster spots, you know, in kind of those shallower leagues. And so, um, so yeah, I think it's kind of valuing that, you know, even maybe it could be a, a case where someone like Ivan Melendez, who, you know, has maybe even a bit of, like sleeper value and, and the fact where like some people are like to see the K rate and they're like, yeah, like I don't want to take that chance. But we also, we've seen him hit homers everywhere he's gone. Like if you're just looking for a power guy, like, you know, nice corner bat, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to bet against him hitting homers. Uh, it's just kind of like how much kind of risk you're willing to bake in. And so, um, yeah, another kind of interest, it's interesting tidbit about uh, those kind of the deeper versus shallower ones. Um, and then in general, how do you view pitching prospects in a ten, like a 10 team specific, like when, like the ultimate shallow league, you know, how do you view pitching prospects there compared to the deeper ones? Yeah. So once again, I'm dealing with salary implications. So in my leagues, so, you know, inexpensive high end, you know, uh, pitching prospects that have that type of upside are huge in those leagues. You know, uh, Hunter Green was that way, you know, just recently, Nick Lodolo, the same type of thing, Gilbert, Kirby, those guys were, you know, at the league minimum, and you were getting, you know, very solid production off of that. With, you know, these 10-team leagues, you know, I'm going to try to focus a little bit more on, you know, strikeout upside, really, you know, Mizorowski, you know, Painter, Espino, these are guys that are going to be high K type of guys, could set you up really well. But obviously, there's just so many options in 10 team leagues that you could be able to go with if you're looking in quality start leagues. You know, maybe you want to go with somebody a little bit more established like Bassett. You know, Kyle Hendricks seems to just always be in that, in the running for that. Marco Gonzalez, same thing. They're just quality start machines. You know, it, it just depends on how your league setup is. Yeah, definitely. I like the 
the emphasis on strikeout guys because you know in in a shallower league you really want to maximize each spot that you have you know like if you have someone who goes like you know five innings and is like consistently has like a you know an 8k per nine you know he's going out and throwing like three four k's at a time you know and like at decent ratios but like you're not really maximizing that spot um especially you know team context or if you know he's not quite getting quality starts or if he hasn't get gotten a lot of wins you know and like it it uh, can be tough to be like okay like i know this is a good guy and he's like rosterable was, rosterable on, on most teams but you know, it's a really kind of like the best best uh, use of this roster spot, you know. So it, it gets tougher, definitely the shallower you get, and I think it also kind of um, makes it maybe a little bit easier when you're scouting, you know. Like I think you could th- maybe throw out some guys a bit easier, you're like oh, like the fastball isn't quite, you know, swing and miss, um, you know, focused. It, it's it has like maybe it's he's a sinker guy and you're like ah like not really looking for that i'm looking for more upside in pitchers and you could focus more on like okay like the you know the locations um the like is he throwing high fastball is the play does the fastball get whiffs is it play up is it you know big breakers things like that strike that upside and it, it kind of i think is a bit uh bit easier to focus on kind of like a specific player that you're looking for there and then it's just you could capitalize on the upside you know so um, cause people I think will eventually pay for that, that upside there. Um, so yeah, pitching prospects and intense team, I think you also need to be ready to cycle them through. If you like, really like a guy, you watch the start, it looks good. You know, like as in any kind of shallow league, you gotta be ready to drop if it's, if it's not working out. And so, and pitching ones where it's pitching prospects are so like up and down that it's um, a lot can change. Like I, you know, even last year, like when there was so many pitching promotions, there were a lot of guys that just didn't quite get there. You know, like um, Matthew Liebertor was kind of like that one that was off and on that everyone was like, maybe he finally takes a step forward. You know, even I was kind of paying attention to like Quinn Priester, uh, Luis Ortiz. Uh, and so there was like those kind of handful of guys that were like right there and just never really got it and you got to be ready to like let go of those guys even if you've been watching them kind of in the last couple levels and you really love them like it's uh, definitely a shorter leash uh, in those in those shallower formats for sure agreed agreed and and with libertor man he led the uh, minor leagues in strikeouts and i think right. AAA for yeah. a good portion of the of the year you thought he figured it out it comes up and he just he didn't do it especially when he was leading the league in or minors in, in strikeouts and like the cardinals the, the Cardinals are throwing out a rotation where I don't even know if anybody had above like a 24% strikeout rate, you know, like 9K per night. Like it was just like they need some swing and miss and they're not – they weren't promoting him for the longest time. And I guess they might have – they might have – they might have known him better than maybe the rest of us and didn't have quite the the confidence in him. But also like I think, I think it was got to the point where it was like just let him go. Let him go. Um, but, you know, it'll get you. It'll get you. Um, with specific players now – is there a kind of sneaky prospect that you are prioritizing um, in 10 to 15 team dynasty leagues that uh, could make an impact in, in 2024? Yeah. So, all right. So the one I'm going to be talking about here, sneaky, maybe not quite as much, but whenever we're talking about some of these dynasty leagues, like I said, some of them do not roster a ton of prospects. Kind of kept that in mind whenever I was trying to do this. I knew that I play in a little bit deeper prospect pool. But one that I really wanted to be able to talk about here is Tyler Black. And obviously right now with, you know, the trade with uh, Joey Ortiz going over to the Brewers, um, Black was trying or was 
potentially being groomed to be uh, competing for that third base spot right out of spring training. I still don't believe that that's out uh, of the question right now uh, because personally, I think, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, that I personally think Adamus is going to be moved at some point. So that'll, you know, free up a spot for Ortiz to go back to short, a natural shortstop in his own right. Uh, Tyler Black, to me, though, has just done nothing but hit since he was drafted uh, with the Brewers. And last year, you know, rising up two different levels, double A, you know, where he played 84 games with 14 home runs, 47 stolen bases, 273 average, 411 OBP and a 513 slug. The guy walked 15 percent, 20 percent strikeout rate. That was the highest that he had in two years. Um so that was fantastic. He gets promoted to AAA. He does 39 games there, so a pretty decent sample size. Hits four home runs, eight stolen bases. Still a 15.6% walk rate with a 13.3% strikeout rate. You know, at the highest level right before getting, you know, all the way up. A 310 average, 428 OBP, and a 514 uh, slug. Personally, I think that he could you know do very well as a third baseman i think he'd be better suited long term towards a second base uh positional you know set up there but obviously with bryce terang they want to see what they have in him with brock wilkin coming up you know in the not so distant future reese hoskins signed for one year plus the uh second year if he doesn't opt out right so I think that they're basically trying to set Wilkin up to potentially be first base, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll see. So for me, Black is somebody who can help you in your 10-team, you know, 10-team, 15-team dynasty setups right aw- pretty much right away, if not, you know, come up within the first month of the season and be able to kind of roll from there. Um, and I think can be able to give you some really good stats that will be able to help your league that's kind of the key right because once again if if you're not producing at a higher level than what some of these mlb guys are doing then you're not really going to get that full value out of them yeah yeah absolutely um and it's i think it's interesting always talking about you know the more of a proximity based um need with with prospects because you get some interesting guys um, like Tyler Black, you know, he's he's not quite like that that upper upper echelon of like talent. You know, he's not like going to, to you know make your eyes pop with like exit velocity numbers. But like he's a speedy guy, like gets on base, like you said, really well, takes his walks, and like will be definitely valuable in, in deeper leagues. But I think this year, even kind of looking at uh, redrafts or smaller leagues, like it's he'll be there and he'll be ready to help you, you know, um, really taking advantage of that kind of soft, that soft roster. So, um, and, and mine kind of is a similar trend where it's like, this guy isn't even a top, yeah, I don't know, 100, 200 overall, not even close. Um, but I think that he can get some valuable at bats this year. Uh, and that's Troy Johnston, a uh, first baseman prospect in the Marlins organization. Um, and just looking at kind of like his competition before I get into his skills specifically, you know, right now they have Josh Bell, who just exercised a player option, final year of his deal, uh, and I, I, we'd be shocked to see them, you know, re-sign him. Um, and so, like, he's he's there at first base, and right now they have Avisail Garcia kind of penciled in to play DH, and, like, Garcia's definitely, like, he was someone who I 
kind of first looked at this roster probably a few weeks ago and was like, ah, he's still he's still there. Oh, okay, you know, because like the last few years, it's been he was uh, he had the great season in 2021, really kind of came back and and hit 29 homers. Uh, had 515 plate appearances, and then 2022 is 380 plate appearances, and then last year is 118. The power has been sapped, and I think even at this point, like even if you see something that you like, like you're you're betting on a 33 year old to, to bounce back after two pretty poor seasons, you know. So, um, and he, I mean, just looking at the WRC plus, he posted above a 100 twice in the last six seasons. So I don't think the DH spot is very solid, and um, you know, even Josh Bell, he's been like pretty much replacement level the last uh, like year or two. And so, you know, it's there's definitely, I think, opportunity there more than you might like expect when just kind of looking at the way that the roster uh, is, is shaken out. Um, but, I mean, Troy Johnston lit up AAA last year. Um, you know, he doesn't have doesn't have the best exit velocity numbers, kind of hard hit data. Uh, looking at it, uh, he's about an average contact at rate at 75%, about average zone contact at 83%. Uh, chases a bit too often. Uh, then his exit velocity numbers were like meh. Like at a league average, kind of 36% hard hit, uh, max EV of 108, um, average EV of 87.6 in a pretty substantial sample size in 226 plate appearances. Um, but in those 226 plate appearances in AAA, he hit eight homers and eight steals. And also combining that with a double A, he was, I think he hit 600 plate appearances on the dot and he hit 24, 26 homers and 24 stolen bases from the first base position. Those steals could be huge. Um, even if again, he gets, he just gets, you know, a, a playing time run for like a month, maybe one of the, one of their guys hits the IL, you know, Josh Bell or something like he could be, uh, really advantageous to get those, even just the steals and some like league average power from, from that, uh, first base spot. So, you know, love to see that uh, under kind of under the radar guy who's a little older, he's going to be age 27 season, um, that put up some really awesome numbers last year, be pretty affordable and dynasty in general, and even in, in redraft leagues as well. Well, I was going to say, Jake, you know, this is a really good call and honestly could really pass for a 30 team uh, guy to be able to target as well with it being with him being a little bit older. It is, you know, a little bit easier to acquire some of these guys in some of these deeper dynasty formats like 30 team leagues, double digit walk rates. He didn't have a strikeout rate above 19.5 percent this year. Uh between you know the two levels and it was 17.1 percent at low a so he was very very solid and if you look back at his career numbers he is a very fundamentally good contact hitter so you know it wouldn't surprise me if the marlins are able to give him some run they have been pretty surprising with some of their call-ups over the last several years with giving guys the opportunity and it only takes one right to be able to get that opportunity I think this is a solid call, not only for 10, 15 team, but also for a 30 team. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, sometimes it's nice to find some of these guys on uh, um, that are not as valued in 30 teamers that are even maybe on some waiver wires that you wouldn't expect. I think there are definitely some some 15 teamers where he's there. Um, and then moving on to our next little category here. What prospect are you stashing this season who could make a difference in 2025 and beyond? So kind of like right on that cusp, maybe had just hit double A last year. Um, you know, he still needs some like development, you know, but uh, pretty confident that he'll be up maybe in September and be looking to fight for a uh, roster spot next spring training. 
Yeah. So for me, with a 10 to 15 team dynasty league, I absolutely love um, right now Jackson Joe. I think that this is a guy that in these shallow team leagues is a guy that I'm willing to sit on all year to see if he, number one, he gets the opportunity late in the season uh, or gets the opportunity in 2025 going forward. He just finished his age 20 season. He ascended th- uh, three levels last year, low A, uh, high A, and double A, all of which he never had a walks per nine above 1.69. Uh, most of them were all below one, so he did not walk hardly anybody while having double-digit strikeout rates at every single stop except for the one start, which was six innings at double-A, in which he had a 9K per nine. So really going to hold that against him, right? Um, the ERA has been extremely solid at every single stop along the way. I think that this, especially with his pitch mix that he's been able to work with, with his fastball slider changeup and the cutter that he mixes in there, uh, is very effective, very effective. And he's really showing that he knows how to pitch um, and really kind of making some of these advanced hitters look a little silly, especially, once again, a 20-year-old at double A. It's pretty good. And although Jackson Job is a top prospect and has been for a while, he just doesn't get talked about all that much, I've noticed. Um, and this is uh, the time to start changing that. Or capitalize that in this case, if you're doing, you know, a shallow team league, Jackson Job is a great target to go after. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it's good to kind of to have that 2025 like outlook for him, um, because I think I, I have heard a couple, you know, uh, prod podcasts or people maybe talking about uh, maybe draft and holds, kind of stashing him or kind of watching him for this year. And like, I, I think it's possible that he gets called up, but there's a the, the Tigers have a surprisingly deep. It's not like they don't have a ton of top end talent in the rotation, um, but they have a surprisingly deep like crop of, of starting pitchers that are will be ready to go. You know, even just in like the developmental path, not necessarily talent, they have like Ty Madden and Wilmer Flores will be ahead of him. And they have a, a full like five, six, seven guys that have major league experience that, that's ready as well. So I think it's going to be tough for him to break the majors this year. And so I think, you know, having that expectation that like he'll be he'll be ready to go in 2025 i'm sure there'll be space for him at some point like at some point he's just gonna break through um but i think i like viewing him as kind of like a 2025 target and to kind of keep the keep the expectations kind of in line because um sometimes you just you see that that stuff you watch him go and you're like man he, he could be in the majors right now but um Sadly, not always how it works, even even with, you know, teams being more more aggressive now. But yeah, I mean, just love Jackson Job, And I, I agree. I think he should be getting a lot more love just, you know, in, in general, definitely. And then the guy that I will talk about here is a like absolute burner on the base paths. Uh, Jonathan Classe. He is a prospect in the Mariner system, an outfielder. And I like had heard throughout this off season or the, the not the off season, but the 2023 season that, you know, class A had kind of like broken out a little bit. He'd be on Twitter here and there, or, or I'd, I'd hear him from like Lamar. I think he was on him on this podcast. And, and so I knew of him. I didn't quite know what kind of season he put together until I actually went and looked at it this off season. Uh, he hit across uh, high A and double A. He hit 20 homers and stole 83 bases. I, that that just seems crazy. That's like a Sturie Ruiz level of, of stolen base, like 
proficiency. Uh, of course, there is a catch uh, in that he uh, doesn't make contact very, very well. Uh, he had a 27.7% strikeout rate overall, and um, after being promoted to AA, uh, it was at 28%. Um, and he was there for 489 plate appearances, so pretty big sample, pretty big strikeout rate. Uh, you would assume that that would only go up as he goes into AAA and um, eventually the major leagues. I, I think that there's a bit of a room for um, for some growth there on his end. And I think what I like about him is that he also he takes his walks. And when you're talking about a speedster, it's really important that they get on base. And when you have, I think with some of the issues that we have with, you know, like someone like a Suri Ruiz or like Whit Merrifield, um, Maybe he's not the best option because he was a great contact hitter, but you know sometimes they just don't get on base enough to steal bases, and you know it's with him carrying a fourteen percent walk rate. If he's able to maintain even double digits as he kind of goes up, if he's striking out thirty percent of the time, walking ten percent of the time, plays really great outfield defense, is impactful on the bases. Like I could see him running into enough playing time where this is going to be um, like an impactful profile, maybe tilted towards roto leagues. But I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for, for speed in general. Something I found when just like looking at him was that he just excels at keeping the ball off the ground. He hits a ton of line drives and fly balls. And, you know, maybe it's not great for his bat, but he's kind of launching the ball into the air a bit. But looking at his power profile, I was looking at it. And I was like, man, like 20 homers seems like his high end. Like how, how did he get there? And then looking at his bad abroad profile, I, I think he just more of like a, a launch angle type guy, like lift it and pull it. And I, if that's how he gets to 15 homers, I'm not going to be like, I don't think I'm really banking on batting average from him. If he can get to 15 homers just by like looking at the sky as he's swinging, that's fine. Um, <laughs> especially because he's, you know, if he's going to get you 50 stolen bases, like, and, and take his walks and, and be kind of valuable, especially in, OB, and especially in an OBP league, like, I, I think that there's a, a few different paths of value there and, and definitely not a finished product, but it's nice when you have like the, the strikeout issues are always tough, but if there are a few different ways in which you could see him getting around it, I think I'm much more like willing to look past it in, in certain situations and just kind of be aware of it. I'm the same way with that. I'm, I'm willing to overlook the strikeout rates if there's other avenues in which that he can get on base and be a contributor. And you're right. The Babib was down at a 294. This is a guy that, you know, has always been well above 300 with his BABIB, primarily a, a high stolen base guy. You'll end up seeing that a lot. Um, if he can make a little bit more solid contact, that would be great just because that, you know, that helps. Um, and the double digit walk rate, like you said, just absolutely fantastic. I, I like this call. Yeah, thank you. I, um, you know, and, and even looking at like the Babbitt, that's something that's surprising, I think, for like speedsters. Usually you see them run a little bit higher. They beat out some ground balls. And so I think there's there's some room, you know, there's some room to improve there. But uh, we're going to take a quick break and it'll be our last break. We're going to come back and give you a handful more names um, to uh, target in your dynasty leagues. All right, and we are back. We kind of focus more on those 10 to 15 team formats with those those first handful of players. And so now we're going to dive into some deeper league prospects here. Um, so, Rick, what pitching prospect, we'll start with pitching, uh, would you seek out and trade right now that could help in uh, 2024? Okay, so for deeper dynasty leagues, really what you're trying to do is you're trying to get some prospects that will be able to help you this year. Um, one pitching prospect that i really like that i think has a very high floor uh, which is key for a lot of these leagues is mason black with the giants he's currently in triple a 
24 years old. Um, he primarily works off of a fastball slider changeup um, with the command, you know, being relatively solid for him. With this past season, he was in two levels, double A AA and triple A. Um, while in double A, he had an 11.86 K per nine with a three walks per nine, 3.57 ERA um, was what he ended up finishing that level with, with a 196 average against. I thought that that was extremely solid. They moved him up to AAA in which that he, you know, maintained a very solid performance in terms of, you know, 13 starts there, 60 and two thirds innings pitched a 10.68 K per nine. The walks did tick up a little bit whenever he did get to AAA. Now, obviously pitching out West, it can be, you know, a little bit problematic for a lot of these pitchers, especially whenever they're dealing with a lot more hitter-friendly environments. He still finished with a 3.86 ERA. I know that he might have been getting a little lucky in terms of, you know, his defense behind him. But the Giants has have been primarily a very good defensive team in the past. I think that, you know, I think Keaton Wynn ended up getting nine starts for the Giants last year. To me, Mason Black is a better option to be able to roll out there to give you a little bit more strikeouts, maybe be a little bit more of a, you know, a longer, you know, innings eater type of pitcher. In 30-team dynasty leagues, this is huge, okay? This is somebody who you can roll out there and from the looks of it could potentially end up giving you some pretty good quality starts, decent strikeout rates, which you really can't beat. This is a guy that I want to have on my squads and go and trade for and Quite frankly, I know out of experience, I've traded for him in a couple of these leagues, and the cost to acquire is not nearly what you would expect it would be. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I uh, Black was one of the ones that I watched a good amount last year and kind of pay, paid attention to because he was mentioned on a random episode of Rates and Barrels like two years ago. They had like a very kind of sporadic segment going for a while there, like Prospect of the Week. Just they'd each like kind of put a put a guy out there that they had heard about or seen somewhere, and um, you know it was interesting that like randomly Eno Saris was this was at the height of like the Kyle Harrison type hype, and Eno is like you know uh, has a lot of connections with the Giants specifically. He lives out there, and and he was like, yeah, I was talking to a like a pitching some sort of pitching development guy coordinator or whatever with the Giants, and and he, he and I was asking about Kyle Harrison, and obviously paraphrasing what Eno was saying, but. Um, you know, asking about Kyle Harrison and he was like, well, have you heard about Mason Black? Have you seen this kid? And um, so really since that episode, just kind of kept tabs on him here and there um, just because like we don't hear much from organizations. And so when we hear every once in a while, they're like, oh, this org likes this guy. It's, I think it's it's good to kind of keep up with it. And then, you know, went through like high A, double A, and then he got up to triple A and it's so tough to evaluate these guys that go through the PCL because you're looking at him and you're like, man, I think he's more than this. You know, like I've been watching him, like his strikeout numbers have been better. Like the command just doesn't look like it's there. Like the, the pitches, you know, it's just like he's struggling, you know, and there's so much that goes into pitching there, whether it's the mental side of it, the break of your pitches, it changes. Like there's so much that goes into it. And so it's, it's really tough to um, like really maintain kind of your, your thoughts on, on a, on a player as they kind of go through that. Um, and so I think it's definitely going to be like, he'll get an opportunity in San Francisco this year. They do not have a lot of depth in their rotation. And I think that's going to tell us so much more and his price could 
drastically increase if he you know turns into someone like like a like a Bryce Miller who was like oh like you know his double a numbers weren't great all of a sudden he's he had like 15 straight in his scoreless innings and not, not saying that that's a uh, expected but that that value can change very very quickly once they get to the majors so I think black is a good one that kind of had that um had that kind of discount just from PCL you know because it's it's tough for sure yeah exactly yeah, I then moving on to my guy, also a pitcher, um, DJ Hers of the Washington Nationals. He was traded from the Cubs to the Nationals at the deadline. Uh, pretty sure in the uh, Jammer Candelario trade, and um, so he, I, I was kind of just looking into him when that happened, and kind of kept kept tabs on him throughout the season. Um, I think with him, what I'm really banking on is the quality of the breaking pitches. I mean, from the left side, these are just wipeout breakers. The slider has a lot of um, a lot of depth, a lot of sweep to it. Um, the, he has a big looping curve, and he gets a, a, just a ton of swing and miss. He had in Double A last year, he had a sixteen point eight nine swinging strike rate, and um, just missed a ton of bats. I think where it's a little dangerous, uh, two concerns uh, for him is the walk rate, of course, and the 14% walk rate is backed up by a 39% uh, ball percentage. And uh, so that's not what you love to see. Uh, just kind of, it's, it's kind of all around the strike zone. I think when I was watching his games, it seemed like he was kind of hesitant to challenge right-handed hitters specifically inside, you know, kind of worried about that leaking over the plate. He would just go, like fastball, so many fastballs on the outer on the outer edge of the plate to to righties specifically, um, and so maybe that's kind of a, a mental aspect of it. I'm I'm hoping to see him kind of like attack more guys this year. Um, so the walk rate's a, a bit iffy, and with breakers, it's always kind of tough like that with good movement. Um, and then also just the fastball velocity leaves a bit to be to be desired. Um, don't know quite enough on the shape yet. He hasn't gotten to AAA. I don't have a lot of those access to, to see that it's, it's tough from the eye test too with those left handers um so you know the fastball the velocity sitting at like 90 92 right now um and again like it's just he he just throws it so much like almost not competitive maybe it tunnels with his slider a bit better but it's just so many pitches kind of on that outer half that it's tough to be effective with with that pitch right now but just looking at his um his like kind of just swinging strike numbers, strikeout numbers, and just watching him pitch, those breakers are ridiculous. And I think that there's definitely some room for the Nats to to kind of play with uh, with his his innings next year. Looking at the major league team, I would be shocked if he doesn't see some some time in the majors this year because their SPs three through five are Jake Urban, Patrick Corbin, and Trevor Williams. So um, who are you going to compete with? You know, he's also on the forty man roster, so he's like. He's right there. He's a lot closer than I think anyone's really given him credit for. So, um, you know, needs a little bit of polish, but I think there's definitely some some raw skills there that uh, that make him an intriguing play to to impact this year. No, I completely agree. I've seen him twice. I saw him while he was with uh, Loe Myrtle Beach with the uh, Cubs organization back in 2021. You know, it was extremely solid back then. Really, kind of an under the radar type of prospect even at that time because he was drafted in 2019 out of high school. Um, so you know that was really interesting. I saw him again here in the Arizona Fall League just recently, where they deployed him as a relief pitcher the entire um, Fall League. I would not be deterred by this, though, um, because even in these 30-team dynasty leagues, that is still huge value uh, with DJ Hers. If he's a starter 
which I still believe that he can be, even with the higher, you know, walk rates. We're talking about Mizorowski, you know, we're talking about a lot of these guys that end up having these higher walk rates, um, but we're going with the high strikeout upside, right? So, you know, he could still be a starter. Now, even if he does become a relief pitcher, I think that this could be a, you know, potential uh, high holds type of guy. This could be, you know, a back end rotation or back end bullpen type of guy. The Nats don't have a real established guy in the back end of that bullpen. So even if DJ hers is to, you know, move towards something like that, there is a lot of value to be had in that, especially whenever you're rostering, you know, seven RPs and you want to be able to try to find somebody who could have some good save upside as well. I do like that call. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at like those deeper leagues again, I know just another example of like, you know, you know, we're pretty, pretty confident it'll be able to contribute somewhere. Just like what's the actual kind of uh, impact going to be. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that's good to to keep the expectations in, in line there um, because like, what walk rates are so just been so interesting at uh especially the higher levels like double a triple a it's feels like they've been not as predictive recently there's a lot that's that's going into it but um but then we'll move on to the next kind of category here for y'all um so we're going to look at some kind of low-key batters outside the top 100 to target in your 30 team leagues and um, so the guy I wanted to kind of bring up real quick is Rainer Arias of the Giants. And I think that he's an example of kind of like of a, of a DSL player who will not be under the radar, will not be low key for, for much longer because it's just one of those guys where sometimes you see someone go through the DSL and you're like, all right, he already like doesn't need to be there. Um, just like a really great athlete who I think could, could impact, um, I think, five categories. You know, like he's got... Um, he's got good speed. He's got good power. We've seen it in uh, in those DSL games. He had a 379 ISO in like 76 plate appearances. It is what it is. But, you know, um, I think what's really good to see is the plate discipline from such a young hitter um, being able to walk 19% of the time and strike out 14% of the time. You know, even in the DSL, like you don't always see that. You If the hitter has strikeout issues, you will still see that in the DSL, you know, if they're just super aggressive and they're, they're chasing. Um, so seeing that, that early plate discipline discipline from a 17 year old in professional baseball is, is still awesome. Um, and so I think he, you know, going into the, um, you know, low a this year, I think you're going to want to keep a tab on him and maybe even make the deal before you actually see it stateside, because I think he's one of these guys where you see a potential five tool bat, like kind of come through and in those lower levels, it's, it starts to get talked about a lot more. And I mean, he's one of those guys where, you know, you just kind of maybe take a chance on it and see how it plays out. And again, you can cut pretty, pretty well if, uh, if need be, but I just, I just love the, the good balance of, of raw tools here and just how advanced he was even for the DSL as a 17 year old. I completely agree, Jake. I was watching him a lot with the DSL numbers this past year, and at six foot two, one hundred and eighty-five pounds, I mean, there's still some room on that frame to, you know, fill out muscle-wise. We're talking about big raw power here, so you know, if he's able to get to that, you know, continue to be able to run for a decent clip there, this is a guy that's going to probably skyrocket up the Giants' rankings, you know, really, really quickly. Um, so I, I think your advice is sound really probably more reactionary now before he gets stateside 
because he could just completely go off the charts at, in, in any moment. Because really, that's how we were kind of with uh, Marco Luciano as well with yep. the Giants organization. Yeah. And, you, you know, we saw Luciano kind of fall off a little bit, but I'm sure there was a lot of instances of people capitalizing on that. Uh, uh, just the hype that he had gotten as he as he moved up levels. You know, he's really falling off now, but there for a minute there, he was definitely a, a hot commodity for sure. Um, who was the guy that you had in mind for this? Yeah, so for me, this is a guy that I've been really trying to acquire everywhere um, and really stood out to me whenever I was doing my system breakdowns over the offseason. Carlos De La Cruz for the Philadelphia Phillies is in double A currently, 24 years old. He is six foot eight, 210 pounds outfielder. We're talking like top tier power, raw power out the wazoo, man. This is this is a guy. This is a dude. This is the way I put it in my write-up. Uh, this is a dude. Uh, this year, he played the entire season in AA, uh, which he played 129 games, hit 24 home runs, drove in uh, or was driven in 80 times, had three stolen bases, not a real burner on the base paths, uh, but had a 259, 344, uh, 454 slash line. Uh, with a 9.3% walk rate, so solid walk rate there, 27.5% strikeout rate. I think with the, for me, you're talking about a guy who's six foot eight. I'm six foot four. <laughs> My levers can get out of whack sometimes <laughs> too. So at six foot eight, it doesn't really surprise me if they do have sh- the higher strikeout rates. But if he's able to generate the power that is being projected upon him and from the video that I've seen, that is some loud contact. If you ever get a chance to be able to watch some uh, Carlos de la Cruz video footage, please do because it is extremely loud. I want all the shares of that in my deeper dynasty leagues, 30-team dynasty leagues, and the Phillies are on the roll. They are trying to win. And, you know, we just saw it with Rojas where he made, you know, his way up there, even with them trading for Marsh, you know, even going and getting Christian Pache, you know, he's establishing himself now as a solid outfield. Now, obviously, that's on a defensive standpoint, but, you know, Schwarber, Schwarber, you know, will be getting to a point where his contract's going to be moving on, I think, in the next year or two. De La Cruz could factor in with the Phillies. I think he'll play the entire year in AAA, and in that ballpark, you know, he could probably end up getting, you know, close to 30 home runs. Those are usually power-suppressing ballparks. So, yeah, absolutely. you know, I, I wouldn't just look at the 24 and just be like, eh, okay, it's not, it's not great. I think that he could get to a lot more whenever he gets to Philadelphia if he gets that opportunity or traded to a, a better situation as well. That's always a possibility with any of these prospects. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's 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 always hard to kind of predict even like using major league situations for guys that aren't quite there yet, even even a year out. It's it's always a a, a bit of a grab bag. Um but yeah, absolutely great name there. He's just like one of the best raw power guys. He honestly I think it reminds me a lot of someone like Matt Walner who was you know, now is kind of like right on the cusp and, and hit some tanks for the, the twins last year. And it's kind of a kind of popular sleeper pick, I think now for, for this upcoming year, but someone who like, you know, just gets overlooked because look, he is viewed as a one dimensional guy has some like contact issues, but just like the exit velocities are crazy. Um, and I think that's someone I'm, I'm definitely willing to, 
to see how it plays out. You know, you could you could definitely profit from that uh, for sure. And then uh, one final category for you all, we have a couple pitchers here, um, some under the radar prospects who could be on your waiver wires right now, even in these super deep dynasty leagues. Rick, who do you got? All righty. So my first one or my, my one that I have here is uh, Henry Lillane. He is a prospect, uh, 19 years old, six foot seven. He is a left-handed pitcher in the Yankees organization, primarily works off of the fastball, curveball, and changeup um, with you know very solid command. And we kind of got a chance to be able to see a little bit of that this past season. So he has been in the Yankees organization for the last two years. Last year he played uh, at the complex level in which that he had eight appearances, five were starts. 21 two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, he had 14.12 K per nine in that, in that time, as well as a 1.66 walks per nine, uh, which I thought was extremely solid. You look at his numbers even back in the DSL, he was solid uh, in terms of preventing the walk in that regard. Uh, he did finish with a 4.57 ERA, but a 3.44 FIP. Personally, I think that there is a great opportunity that once he gets to low A, that he will just start skyrocketing up this Yankee system. This is a guy that has some really good stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, nabbing him now, especially on your waiver wires, you know, these 30 team leagues, you're, you're digging pretty deep for the most part. I would venture to guess that this is a guy that will be readily available on your waiver wires and is a guy that you could pick up as a flyer and see how it works. But I feel pretty confident in this one. Yeah, love that. Love to hear it. Uh, he was actually on a, a roster that I took over and I didn't know a lot about him. So I love the vote of confidence there. Um, and, and I think even just with the Yankees organization, they have so much depth in their starting pitching prospects that like he very easily gets overlooked just just because of everything, everyone else that they have there. Um, so yeah, love that kind of under the radar pick there. Um, the guy that I wanted to bring up is Jimmy Joyce, uh, a right-handed pitching prospect in the Seattle, Seattle Mariners organization. And I think he's another one who's a lot closer than anyone would think. Because when you just think about the Mariners as an organization, how they approach pitching development, they don't throw their top guys at AAA. They have not done it recently at all. Uh, between George Kirby, even Matt Brash, um, and then like Bryce Miller and, and Brian Wu, none of those guys touched AAA before they made their MLB debuts. They've since gone back for like, you know, rehab assignments or whatever it is, but they did not hit that level yet. And Jimmy Joyce has thrown 30 innings at AA uh, at the end of last season and seven starts. And so just any Mariners, you know, prospect that's doing pretty well at AA, like we should probably pay a little bit of extra attention to him just because like, probably won't actually go to triple uh, a and so with him as far as like his actual profile i am most interested in just the um his his ground ball ability his sinker like this isn't exactly a, a, a big upside guy um but just looking at his ground ball rates in 2022 his was his first big volume year through 112 innings at high a with a 59 percent ground ball rate 
last year in high A and double A, he had about 30, 40 innings at each level, and his ground ball rates were 65.1% and 53.5%. You're looking, you know, with with those like mid to high 50% ground ball rate numbers, if he can maintain those, that's like Framber Valdez type level stuff, you know. Um, and that's like even even if we're not talking about like a ceiling, like that's, I think how, uh, you know, some of these guys just like make their money. That's, that's a bread and butter for some pitchers and it's valuable to get a ton of ground balls. You know, I think it suppresses the ability to, um, to have rallies and just like consistent outpouring of run scored. If you just like limit the home run ball and, and keep balls on the ground. So, um, you know, and even even with his kind of limited arsenal, he still actually got a decent uh, decent strikeout numbers last year. Uh, and let's see, what was it? It was at high A, it was thirty four percent, and then double A, it, it dropped down to twenty two percent. The cliff wasn't as drastic when looking at swinging strike rate. High A, it was sixteen percent, and double A, it was twelve percent. So, you know, still like solid, and I think that he could be like maybe close to nine K per nine and just be, um, be kind of like a stabilizer, you know, solid ratios, like enough strikeouts, maybe get some wins, work deep into games. And, um, and again, like I just, I think he's closer than we'd expect. It just won't be anything exciting. Won't be a huge guy. that will get a ton of hype, but just could provide some valuable solid innings for you. Fantastic back of the rotation type of guy right. or a good swing guy. Yep. You know, that's that's what I see here is a very good swing potential, which once again, you get a SPARP eligibility in some of these deeper dynasty leagues, that is key. You know, just trying to trying to kill them with quantity. You know, Jimmy Joyce is a great one to be able to tag on there. All right. With that, we will close out the pod with a ton of content here for y'all when it comes to strategy and some player breakdowns as well. Always want to remind you that you could find me on Twitter at Jake Mace. You can find Rick at Must Be the Hawk. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at PL on the Farm. Uh, you know, have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening. We're going to keep plugging away at these episodes next week. We will have Drew Martinez a manager in the DSL in the San Francisco Giants organization to talk all things lower minor leagues, rookie ball in the Dominican Republic. Thank you all very much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening.